0: Welcome to Season 2 of the Thoughts with Lakshman podcast. My name is Lakshman Sybil. I'm a rising senior at the Edgemont Junior Senior High School. Well, I'm really finishing up junior. I'm not a senior yet, technically. Um, But yeah, welcome to Season 2. As you know, first of all, I want to thank everybody because Season 1 was very successful. We had over 350 listens, um, which I didn't think we'd have. 350 listens is very impressive. Uh, for, you know, I don't have any sponsors or anything. I'm not marketing this at all. So the fact that just putting this out on the platform so I was able to get 350 lessons, um, I'm really appreciative of that. Um, and I'm glad that I was able to, you know, people were interested in it. Um, I originally planned on doing this to try and help people out with COVID because I know um, how difficult it was for people in hospitals when they're stuck in hospitals, um, for COVID related issues or other things, but they were in hospitals and they were all isolated from their family. And they were completely, you know, they were just stuck on screens all day. And, um, the, their rates of depression were so high and their mental health wasn't very good. And they were just stuck on screens. And I wanted to try and give them a productive activity. So that's why I created the podcast. One, I really enjoy doing it. I, I, do a lot of reading and research in my free time anyway so this really wasn't you know adding it was just me you know taking my research and reading and just now being a little bit more organized with it that's all I really had to do um, and try and construct that into episodes but I'm glad you know I was able to partner with uh, local hospitals specifically really the Mount Vernon Hospital is really successful with them Um, also the local Westchester Hospital too and the White Plains Hospital and they did a great job sharing the content Um, so I'm really appreciative for them but we're going to continue. Um, at first, you know, this was really COVID-focused, but I'm continuing this. Um, I really enjoy making the podcast. Um, I was a little busy. I had you know, some standardized tests. I had you know, AP exams and my ACT that I had to take out, knock out of the way. And I've also been working on a research project, um, which is really cool. It's about Spreewald Pickles. One of the episodes in our podcast in season one discusses this. I'll quickly go over this, but you can take a look at that episode, too. It's one of the first ones, um, because I, I wanted to start with that, too, because it was one of my favorite topics. But East German nostalgia is a fascinating concept. Um, and by the way, apologies for the mic. I don't have my regular microphone. I spilled something on it. So if the audio isn't as good, um, I'm sorry. I'll try my make my best. But East German nostalgia is fascinating because, you know, under the GDR... Um, Life wasn't really that great for East Germans. Um, You know, under Stalinist totalitarianism, you know, they didn't have any political freedom. Um, They suffered a lot. That's why there was a brain drain. And for people who had family members in West Germany, they couldn't see them for years. They looked so different. There's a beautiful book. Um, It's not even a book. It's really a a short collection of poems that discusses, you know, how people reacted to seeing their family members look so different. Um, it's almost like when people go to space, right, and they come back there for three years. Um, well it was a little longer, but a similar thing happened with uh with East Germans. But still, East Germans had this profound connection to certain products and and goods that were produced by the GDR, and they kind of like they found solace in them. They they truly found solace in those products. And one of my favorite ones was Spreewald gherkin, or Spreewald pickles as they're known in English, um, because these little pickles were able to unite East Germans. And one of the other things, too, is after the Berlin Wall, after unification, and I, I'm spending a lot of time on this, I want to get into our topic today, but this is really interesting. But after unification, East German, there was a big inferiority complex between East Germans and, you know, West Germans felt superior. Um, All of West German, lots of aspects of West German culture kind of, you know, ran over East German culture. And understandably so, right? You would expect that. Um, Lots of West German businesses were more efficient, they were run well, and you would expect that. But there was also a bit of a fight back, because not East Germans, you know, acknowledged that, they were aware of that, but they were like also... You know, not everything we have is bad, um, and they did like a few things, and that they that you know they've grown accustomed to, they've grown attached to, and one of those things was Spreewald pickles. And after you know the Berlin Wall came down, the company that produced there are multiple companies that produced them, um, but the most famous one is just called Spreewell Deutsch, I think, and um, you know they went under, they couldn't compete, they were not, they didn't survive in the free market. And the West German companies that try to, you know, replicate that and try to produce well pickles themselves to sell because there was high demand for it, they couldn't get the taste right, according to East Germans. And that's fascinating, too. You can read about that, how they still think that the taste isn't the same. Um, So that's a topic I found super interesting, right? And also, if you watch Goodbye Lenin, which is a great movie, um, it's Goodbye Lenin, I encourage you to watch it. It's basically focusing on that Uh, Lenin is a younger boy. He's really, I think he's a college student in the movie. And he uh, favors unification. He's against the East German communists. His mother, on the other hand, is far more, you know, she, she's fine with the communists. And Lenin's attending this, uh, you know, this political protest. His mother is sick. His mother goes in a coma. And when she comes out of coma, uh, East Germany and West Germany become united, right? And the Berlin Wall comes down. She doesn't support that. So the movie goes into all how they kind of, after her mother comes out of coma, to prevent her from going into coma again, the efforts that they go to to make it seem to her mother that they're still um, divided. So they cover up the windows. They make their own TV shows for her. Um, but one of the things they do with food, right, is her mother loved Spreewell pickles. And they couldn't find Spreewell pickles. Because her mother wanted to eat spiral pickles they couldn 't find spiral pickles after unification, so that 's another thing that kind of that kind of focuses on that but that 's really that 's a truly interesting topic. I go into greater detail in the in season one, but I really want to try and improve the quality and the length of these podcasts because I think I could have done a little better oh, I was also learning it 's the first time i 've ever done this, but maybe I revisit that topic again because it 's just so fascinating you can talk about it for so long um, but today. I want to talk about a new topic, and I think I'm going to do a series on this, because what i found from really the best criticism I got, and I'm really glad that I did get criticism because you can only grow from criticism. You can't grow from compliments are great. I love the compliments, but um, you know criticism is very valuable to me. And I feel like I should I could have done a better job going deeper in, into you know specific topics rather than covering a lot of topics. So that's something I'm really going to try and focus on um, now in season two. Um, so one thing I'm going to start. So a terrific book I've been reading. So Jan Uselman, he's a professor at Georgia Tech University with German. I don't. I think he, he graduated from the University of Texas, um, and I think I don't think he's doing as much work with the universities. He does a lot of work with also. German University, Georgia Tech has a terrific program, uh, study abroad program, and he does a lot of work uh, with the German University, I forget the name that they send kids to, from Georgia Tech, but he goes back and forth between them. But I was lucky enough to speak to him for over an hour, and his research is fascinating. Um, He has one of the most interesting topics, probably the second most interesting topic to me, relating to German history and German culture, behind Spreewell Pickles. And that's after post-World War II and the formation of German democracy. Um, so just to give you some backstory, right? Every, Germany's history is fascinating. Even if you, you, you've never studied German, you've never taken any German history classes, you know a lot about German history, just taking, you know, American history um, because of World War I and World War II. Um, so, so with uh, Mr. Usman's project, and he has a book I'm going to talk about. I was lucky enough to get the book. Um, and, uh, it, it's a terrific book. I read it once. I'm reading it again, too. But what happened with, uh, with Germany after World War II, they, they lost World War II, right? The U.S. played a major role, and maybe I could do a podcast on that. I, I discussed a little bit of World War II in one podcast. Maybe I dive deeper into it. Um, but for now, let's just focus on this. Let's not get distracted. So, after Germany lost World War II, Right? And Nuremberg trials. Lots of Hitler obviously killed himself. Although there are comp- conspiracy theories that say that Hitler didn't kill himself and went to South America. There isn't any proof, um, but there are some conspiracy theories there. Uh, but though a lot of Nazis did flee uh, uh, Germany from the and and instead of getting tried in Nuremberg trials, they went to South America. Uh, so that's interesting, actually. That's a we could do a topic on that because that there's proof of that. There isn't proof that Hitler was one of them. And these people weren't as high profile. But what's interesting, what Mr. Uselman focused on, in his book's called Staging West German Democracy, Governmental PR Films in the Democratic Imaginary from 1953 to 1963. It has an orange cover um, in case you're interested in, in buying it. what What's fascinating about his research, and just to give you better backs so, so World War II, they lost, Germany lost. Nuremberg trials, lots of Nazis were were tried. Very few. The only ones that really didn't get punished were the ones who weren't as high-ranking. They really went after them. And that's one thing Germany's gotten a lot of praise for for um educating on that, you know, if you take a if you go to school in Germany, German textbooks aren't going to ignore World War 2 and Hitler. They're going to spend a lot of time talking about that. If you go to China, um. So, or not? China China's still not great about it. China, like, to you know, they'll present, um, for example, Tiananmen Square. They'll they'll present that differently, but really, North Korea, is uh, you know, if you go to school, in North Korea, it's fascinating, which some journalists have been able to obtain. So Germany has they've they've definitely you know been forthcoming on that. But, after World War Two. The Nazi propagandists, propaganda was crucial to Hitler's rise and the Nazis um, becoming popular in Germany. Crucial. And there are a lot of elements at play, right? After World War One, Germany was struggling. Um, sanctions on Germany were too harsh by the U.S. And, and and the Allies. And that was a big mistake that they made. That was one of the biggest mistakes in history. Um, and that kind of gave rise to Hitler, right? There was so much economic struggle um, and that led to political uproar. That's kind of why, you know, you, you see with the uh, Truman Doctrine, uh, which was $400 million for Greece and Turkey, the Marshall Plan, right? That's crucial economic aid. Why did the U.S. do that? Well, they did that because if someone did that to Germany, Hitler wouldn't have happened, right? So they didn't want that to happen after World War II. But back to Germany, uh, and that's interesting, too. The Marshall Plan the Truman Doctrine, that's very, very interesting, too, I wrote a research paper about that this year, and it was one of my favorite papers I wrote. Um, But back to Germany, Um, propaganda was so important for for Hitler, for the Nazis, and they had lots of, I would argue, I don't really know if I'm well-researched, but from what I know, I think German propaganda at this time in, in the world may have been the best in the world. It may have been the best in the world. And it was very effective at um, you know, persuading the public. And this propaganda, you know, th- there were so many Nazis that were, that were experts at this propaganda that once Germany lost World War II, right, once they lost and once the Nazis were trod, they actually didn't try certain Nazi propaganda experts. They didn't try these, these Nazi filmmakers, but, and they made a deal with them, um, the, the post-World War II German w- w- government, they made a deal with them. And the Allied powers knew about this, too. They made a deal that these Nazi filmmakers would continue making their propaganda films except for the other side. So instead of arguing, you know, pushing forth the Nazi message, well, now they're going to make these Nazis, uh, these, uh, these Nazis are going to make these propaganda films, but instead of, you know then pushing with the Nazi message it's for democracy. And it's fascinating, right? I mean, imagine you how the difference is stark, right? And they did it because they would have they would have gone to jail, they would have died. So they had no choice. They were happy to do it for their freedom and they did a good job with it. That's the most interesting thing. And that's what the book explores. They did a terrific job with it. And it really helped. Um, and that's really the fascinating thing, because it's really difficult to quantify that. Like, how are you supposed to quantify the effectiveness of a movie, right, uh, in, in persuading the German public? But what Mr. Usman does very well in his book, he looks at a lot of documents. He lo- it's a, he put it in multiple years. I spoke to him about this. Um, I was very lucky to speak to him. It was not scheduled or anything. I was signed up for a Georgia Tech German information session, and just so happened he was there. Uh, and we spoke about the George Tech German department, but we also spoke about uh, uh, his book. That's what interested me more. And then we exchanged emails. We had another conversation. But he, he looked at polls, for example. There were a lot of polls done before and after movies. That, those were very effective. Um, and the the films are really – because remember, you're living in a different time. Okay, You're li- mid-20th century. This is what you're dealing with right now. People listen to this stuff. People believed it, people listened to it, they trusted it, they didn't doubt it, and that's what made them so effective. Um, and, you know, they were effective for the Nazis, they were effective, I would argue, even more so uh, for German democracy, because the public had to, instead of, they were pushed so far in one direction, they had to come, turn around the f- full circle. Um, or not full circle, they had to go the other way, Right. And, and that's really, so I'm going to go through this right now and I'm going to go through the book. This is kind of what the series I want to do. I really want to spend some time talking about this book um, and exploring this topic because what I think is a lot more interesting is instead of, you know, touching up and broad topics, which I think it's important that we did in season one, I really want to dive deep into a couple things in season two that really interest me um and whether that's you know going through a couple books discussing some parts that I found particularly interesting or um you, i think that's probably what I'm going to end up doing but also with movies so if you do want to watch these films by the way I'm going to see if I can attach a link um at the end of this podcast to the to the website I found now the problem is there are some copyright problems with it the link I found was a little dodgy and also they're only in german uh the movies i don't think you can even translate it which is fine i mean if i assume if you're listening to this podcast you have some interest in german culture so you probably know uh german is a language if you don't that's okay um you can still tell what's going on but it'll definitely be more difficult to follow along i'll see if i can find english versions of the uh of the films but from what I've seen, it's it's remarkable that they're even online in the first place. Um, but but yeah, so let's... Who was the federal chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany after World War II? Well, that was Conrad Adenauer. Um, and that's someone you should know, too. Um, you know, Adenauer is very, very important. Um, one of the, the interesting paintings is Christ as Man of Sorrows. This is unrelated to the prop. Oh, I should have spoken about this. So they're propaganda films. There's also artwork. There's also paintings. Um, and that's pretty consistent. If you look at history, even if you look at current-day North Korea, if you ever seen a North Korean rally, you'll see uh, Kim Jong-un painted in, in like a diamond shape, and they're all marching. Same happened with Stalin. Same happened with Mao. Same happened... So with uh... But it's interesting you're seeing this on the other side of things, right, for German democracy. But Christ is Man, so- Man of Sorrows is a is a very famous painting, um, that tried to portray Adenauer um, as kind of uh, kind of gentle, kind of loving, kind of like a you know more, it, and also godly too in a way, but a little bit more relatable in a, in a, in a way. Also remember, these are government-commissioned films, right? These aren't private films. That's another uh, topic. That's another thing to keep in mind. And there's a lot of symbolism, right? There's a lot of symbolism in these films. That's another thing I want to touch on. It's fascinating the way they do this, and I'm, i I can't really be spe- as specific right now as I I would like to because I I'm trying to figure out how I can explain it, but the the specificity it it seems very basic um, in terms of the symbolism. I mean, having Christ as man of sorrows portrayed as Jesus Christ. There are other pictures where you know, in in um, movies, for example, or in films, they're called. Um, and to, a great example of this is Neue Deutsche Volkenschau and uh, Welt und Bild. And both of these films are really focused on foreign policy. Okay? And, you know, you can really present foreign policy through a film. You can make it look very different than what's actually going on. Um, and the public can't see what's actually going on, right? Reporters at this time, there were st- wasn't as advanced media in germany and there's a podcast episode in in season one it's another topic i would really like to explore more deeply as uh media and german media over time but at the you know they couldn't really you know tell what's going on in those closed door meetings so you could really manipulate right like you could really present uh the german government in a completely different way with uh with um Foreign policy meetings through these PR meeting through these PR films. Um, for example, a man advocates for his people. That's this is another one I want to talk about. So this one is probably the most. There are two that are the most famous in my opinion, from what I've read. Um, one is a man advocates for his people. Ein Mann wird für sein Volk. Um, that's pretty self explanatory from the uh from the title. That's again pr- presenting Adenauer as a, as a patriot, loves his Germans, loves his fellow Germans, would only do the best for them, um, is always considering them in all his actions. That's kind of what that's portraying him as. The other ve- very famous one is uh, the path into the future, der Weg in Z- Zuckum, which is a funny word, um, but der Weg in die Zukunft. The path into the future is interesting because, remember, you have a German – you have a democratic Germany, right, in this in this stage. There are elections, right? Now, and that's another thing we could explore is the validity of those elections um, because there, there were some – there are some interesting things with uh, German elections back then, but they were largely democratic, right? That's – That's what they were. And by making PR films like The Path into the Future, right, that's pretty powerful for voters, right? That's really powerful for voters. I mean, you know, it sounds really basic now because we see this stuff all the time, right? We see political ads all the time. And, you know, we don't – we just take it as it is. We don't give much thought to it. But for people in the mid-20th century, when they're seeing a full movie – um, that's made on this, really high quality. And they don't have that many movies to watch, by the way. It's not like, you know, they're choosing to watch a government-commissioned movie about, you know, a path into the future under hour and German democracy over some, you know, entertaining movie. They don't have much choice at this time. They're entertained by this stuff, right? These movies aren't made that often. When they're made, they're going to watch them. So that really affects them um movies like this especially with the with how they're going to vote and it is what it is right propaganda is always going to exist um propaganda exists today right but that's that's uh pretty powerful that that film the interesting about the pr films the interesting thing about the pr films is that you can tell from the films like, you, you can tell the date of the films without watching the films, even though the films don't reference very many, like, specific things, in a way. The films tend to be more broad. They tend to be more, focus more on symbolism, fo- focus more on just presenting the German Democratic government as being very, well, German Democratic government. I didn't want to accidentally say the German Democratic Republic, right, because that's very different. But, you know, Presenting this new democratic government in a very strong light um, as as knowing what they're doing. That's kind of how the films are. They're not really diving deep into a few things. Um, they're not very that specific. So you can tell um, through the PR films by watching them. And I've seen this too. When I watch the films, I've watched three of them. And I, I couldn't... There was some where I struggled a little with the German because this is also 20th century German my speaking and listening skills. I'm a much better writer and a and a reader at German. And I think most people who are English speakers will probably start off like that. I'm trying to make an you know an effort to try and talk German. I'm doing a program where I'm talking with German two hours basically every day for the next eight weeks, which is pretty cool. Um, we we had a lot of fun with that today actually, but um, that's how I'm trying to improve my speaking with German. But you know, listening to the to the movie. I couldn't follow along with that much of it, but what I could tell, I could I could follow on enough that I could tell that the f- third movie, um, A Man Advocates for His People, that was the last one. That was the last one. And the reason I could tell that is because the tone was more... It was almost as if the filmmakers had sensed that the public were growing to favor democracy. The first one was more... Um, it, it definitely tried to address the skepticism, right? It definitely, they focused a lot on, first of all, they focused a lot on the previous government, right? They focused a lot on the Nazis, and they tried to draw a contrast between, well, the Nazi government, and they tried to portray World War Two and how they struggled so badly, and they used that to really try and um, gain credibility for the democratic government, even because, remember, for the German people, You know, the democratic government at the time, they didn't have much uh, of a track record, right, for the German people to judge them off and trust them. So the way that they almost, uh, that the filmmakers kind of got the support for that without a track record is by comparing the German democratic government to the previous Nazi government um, and and really focusing on the failures of the Nazi government. So that was very effective. Um, And you can tell as the, different stages, right, just by watching the film, right, that when it was made, and that, I think that's very interesting, too, and I'm not just focusing on, because, you know, someone could say, well, that's so basic, right, if a film's black and white, I can tell it was made back then, if a film's in color, there's a lot more complicated than that, because they're all black and white, more or less, The they're, they're within a five to seven year span, and... It, it shows the development of German democracy, that's what I think, but let's move on. Um, another interesting thing, are what are the motivations and the strategies, right? With how the filmmakers tried to present, you know, the new um, post-war democratic government in Germany as a flourishing democracy. One of the things they really did, and this was a little risky... They really tried to align themselves with um, through the films. They tried to be, with, align themselves with Western powers, right, like the U.S. Because the German people didn't particularly like the U.S. at at this time in the twentieth mid twentieth century. They didn't like France. They didn't like Britain. They liked the U.S. Well, the German democratic government, the post-war government, they're aligned, right? I mean, they're they're. Um, Pretty aligned. The German representatives in that government—they're they're definitely aligned um, with those Western powers. I mean, they're literally controlling the government. So the way that those films did that because that was one of the hardest, you know, hurdles to 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 jump over. Right? How do you get the public to go from hating the Americans, hating the Brits, hating the French, to now start, you know, accepting them? Accept this new relationship that our government has. That's difficult. That's really, really difficult. And the way they were able to do it, they, they really tackled it head on, head on. They tackled it head on. Um, and they tried to, one of the things, and you can talk about freedom of media and the evolution of the German media. The big things that really influenced people were newspapers and movies, okay? And, and whatever they could see. Movies were rare, but they were cool. Right, People really remembered what they saw in movies, because they couldn't see them that often. Um, they were fascinated by them, so, and, and they were more trusting of them, because they were rare. And they also trusted their newspapers. Newspapers weren't as rare. I mean, they're not to the scale they are today, but they weren't as rare. But they were more accustomed to their newspapers. And there were definitely uh, German-owned, uh, government-owned uh, media agencies that the people read and they followed. They did a great job of convincing the people, you know, to to become more accepting of the relationship with the U.S. And that's another fascinating topic, right? You know, freedom of the press is beautiful. Freedom of the press is necessary in a healthy democracy. The press should be able to criticize, um, you know, everyone with without any ramifications. They should be able to criticize the president, criticize... Uh, Senators or representatives, they should criticize anyone without ramifications. That's crucial. On the other hand, right, you're seeing in Germany, well, if they were so critical, if you had a free press in Germany, would democracy have grown to be as successful as it was? Would public support would have been there? Right? That's an interesting question because I completely support the freedom of the press. I'm a firm believer in the freedom of the press, um and i think i like i said it's so necessary but that's a weird historical question right that like in this certain situation freedom of the press probably wouldn't have been beneficial here right because democracy was you know was what was needed but it wouldn't have helped if you had totalitarianist um or communist uh um newspapers that the public loved and they were listening to them and they started, that wouldn't have helped, right? That would not have helped the the, the efforts for democracy. And democracy is very important. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's very important. So, so that's really interesting. That's another thing that I wanted to uh, touch on because there are lots of, especially in German history, from what I've studied, there are lots of these like uh, backwards-ish situations where like you'd expect one thing but like the backwards way of doing it kind of makes it better in a way like if that makes sense I'm, maybe not backwards but like the, it's unexpected extremely unexpected right and this is this is unexpected that not having freedom of the press in this stage and there was freedom of the press but there were just a lot of german owned uh, media companies and they were spreading this propaganda they were they were spreading certain news so then the public over time became uh, more supportive of the relationship between, you know, the the U.S. and, and Britain and and France. Um, and and the other thing too, which we should, you know, Mister Osmond deserves a lot of credit, is that his novel really was, um, the first novel that really did comprehensive research that focused on the Western government's efforts um, to, to, to create um, support for democracy through, through films, through media. And this, so that's, that's another thing I wanted to mention because this is really, this is a terrific study and I know we're not as specific as we could. I want to try and focus on another couple more topics. Oh, another thing. I don't know as the, as the redeemer of the Germans, right? Redeemer of the Germans, that's pretty familiar. If you've studied World War One, you studied German history. You know who was the redeemer of the Germans? Hitler. Hitler was the redeemer of the Germans, right? The Germans. That's what they felt. That was one of their. I don't know if the exact wording was that. And I'll I'll take a look at the German words for this. But after World War One, right? Hitler was the one. Hitler was viewed as a loyal person for Germany. He's going to stand up for us. We got, you know, destroyed by the World War One. Then we got even more destroyed by the Treaty after the treaty of Versailles and and our and our sanctions. And Hitler's going to be the one that helps us, and he's going to stand up for us for us Germans. That's how they viewed him. He they viewed him as as almost like a redeemer of the Germans. So it's fascinating, right, that. Uh, for Adenauer, for democracy, that they're using a very similar um, kind of kind of campaign style. I mean, you see that in American politics too, right? Um, you know, Reagan's uh, slogan was make America great again, and Trump stole it from him. Um, so the, the people steal things like that, but it's particularly interesting because it's Hitler, right? I mean, why would you steal something from Hitler? Um, that's not necessarily someone Adenauer really wants to be making comparison to. But he was fine with it because it, it it worked. It it related to the Germans and it worked for them, um, which so that's that's interesting too. Um, that you because you definitely would not expect that. And By the way, the the films were also present not just in Germany but. Austria, Switzerland, but also in Britain and France, that shouldn't be completely underlooked. Um, and and just another you know quick thing, Adenauer's power, power, power political party was the uh, CDU or the Christian Democratic Union. Um, so that's another thing, and the films weren't just for Adenauer or, or Germany as a whole. They were also more specific films for their government for representatives for but it wasn't just for one because they weren't made so often but it would be for you know elections to help out a, a, a lot of people so that's another thing but they they were heavily tied tied to the CDU party um at this time and the remember the films are very well made very very well made um and they really linked out an hour with the 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 new democratic um government successful path towards a political stable politically stable um, you know democracy um and and by doing that they they gave out a lot of credit i don't know it's a central figure here he's a central figure because the film's it's really easy if you think about it to i i don't know if it's easier if if it's easy. But I certainly think it's easier uh, to focus on one person in a film than to focus on a country as a whole or, or government as a whole. I think that's really... Because the symbolism you can do, you can really project that person in a positive way, especially because this is the mid-20th mid century, okay? The media isn't as good. There's German-owned media companies. They're not going to criticize Adenauer. And then the other media companies, well, they don't have... You know they don't have the capability to criticize them in a serious way, and they weren't as popular as the German owned media companies. It wasn't like the people were paying much attention to them, anyways. So it was really easy for them to, you know, I don't know if they had approval ratings at the time, but with these films, with the media, I mean, Adenauer's approval rating must have been through the roof. Um, and it, it, it was it's easier for them to do that with Adenauer than it would have been for them to do that with the entire German government. And that's what kind of why they struggled in the beginning um with getting support for the new relationship with the US, um and and Britain and France. But really, you know, the the films represented Anna or you know, the Chancellor to portray his politics so that, you know, they were likable, so that they were understandable. He wasn't, they didn't portray him as some, though they did, actually, never mind. They did have some paintings that portrayed him as a godlike figure. But there was a lot of stuff that focused on him being a relatable, likable person also. That's interesting, too, because remember, context, mid-20th century in Europe. Is relatable, likable really uh, that common across Europe? Not really. Um, There's a lot of royalty, there's a lot of er- aristocracy. That's, you know, that's interesting, too. You know, we covered the propaganda. They're obviously propaganda. They're made by the German government. Um, you know, they're filming on an hour on his trips. Um, like we said, right, with favorably covering him with uh political and, and, and foreign policy not political, but foreign policy discussions. Hmm. And you know, just to before we finish up, um well yeah, well, I wanted to keep it around f- so 40 minutes is good. Okay. So, yeah, that really brings us to a good natural end. Sorry that the, you know, the end I I covered everything I had my on my notepad and then I, w- I was looking through the note through the book itself, so I'm trying to find something well, I'm going to look for it right now. Um so I really wanted to introduce this topic. We dived a little bit into it, but I want to go a lot deeper, right? Like I think we're you know, we're at the level where we don't need um like a a full-on gas tank, like a water tank. You know, we're just, you know, closing our nose, we're dumping jumping into the water. We're going to stand there for we're that deep, right? I want to go deeper so that like we need a water tank to to c- c- come out. That's how I really want to go into this. So, I'm going to spend more time um Preparing, I I have a lot of ideas for this, but I just need to make sure it's a little bit more organized. Um, but thank you for listening to the uh, the podcast. I hope you're you're interested in this topic. We're gonna do a series on this. Um, so I I would maybe the next four or five episodes are covering, um, you know the the formation of West German democracy using Nazi filmmakers propaganda because I think it's so fascinating. I'm gonna be referencing the book a little referencing some research papers that I found particularly interesting. um, Nothing's too specific. I'm just, you know, just the theme of it. Just some eye-opening things. And I'm also going to try and see if I can find um a link to an English version of the films for the next podcast. um Because I think that would be helpful. Because I know the majority of my, Engl- uh, my listeners are English or native English speakers or beginner German speakers or more advanced German speakers too, actually. But I think that would be uh, very interesting. But like I said, thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, Remember, the podcast is available on Apple Music, on Spotify. Not Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere, basically. Um, The Anchor app is tremendous for me. It really helps me out to put it out there. You know, subscribe, give it a great rating if you enjoyed it. And I'm going to have fun. We're going to have fun together, and we're going to dive deep into uh, – West German democracy, the the origins of West German democracy. So thank you for listening, and goodbye, or tschüss.